So life is filled with interruptions, right? You're standing up front and you're interrupted when you realize your microphone's not on. You, you know, we have interruptions all the time with our cell phones and text messages and studies show, and I don't know who's doing these studies for goodness sakes, but that the average person is interrupted, but like every three minutes to, you know, every eight minutes, just somewhere in that span. And it's probably growing with, you know, the social media and everything. A lot of interruptions. Um, I don't know if you heard the story about this minister, Pastor Ralph. He never prepared for his sermon. And every Sunday, he would stand up or sit up on the platform while people were you know, singing the hymns and during the prayers, and he would be crying out, God, God, please give me a message to, to say to these people. Please, Lord, give me your word that I might preach it today to these people. And one morning, God interrupted his prayer with a loud word. I mean, he interrupted. He said, Pastor Ralph, you're lazy. Prepare your sermon next week. <laughs> I don't know. I grew up with the TV being interrupted. You know, we interrupt this regularly scheduled program to, of the emergency broadcast to bring you a message to remember that. Well, interruptions can be messages of hope, grace, uh, touching us. They can be warnings. They can be any number of things. God interrupts. Interruptions are a part of God's plan. And it has a way of showing us that we're not in control. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, we're not saying that because we really want to be in control. Wait, God, I, I thought I was in control. Uh, one of the things that my husband and I learned early in our marriage, and it has just been a, a steadfast foundation in our lives, is that we're not in control, even when we think we are, no matter what our plans are. Uh, my husband and I, uh, my husband had been a CPA on his way to partnership at one of the big eights when God interrupted him with a call to ministry. We met at Fuller Seminary, and uh, we married, and we had great plans. You know, I was still in seminary. I still had a year or so. And um, we had plans that we would work, uh, we would serve the Lord together, and we would uh, save money, and we would travel. I mean, we just had these great plans. And about a year later, I, we were doing a Bible study together, teaching a Bible study at this church in L.A. that we served. And, uh, man, I had been feeling really nauseous. And this nurse in the Bible study said, could you be pregnant? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, we have plans. We're saving. We're traveling. A week later, my husband stood up in worship. And announced that we were indeed expecting our, turned out, our precious Amelia Elizabeth. And he used this passage from Proverbs 16.9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord determines their steps. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Amen. And that's really, I mean, somebody has said, and you've probably heard this before, if you want to make plan, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You know, <laughs> that's so true. So in this passage, we're going to, it's a, it's a big passage, and, and no, um, it's not going to interrupt your uh, congregational meeting, because we're going to look at just a kind of a couple things within this, um, this big, wonderful passage. And that's really the interruptions that we see interruptions in the lives of Jesus, in the life of the disciples, and how we might learn how we shouldn't respond and how God calls us to respond. So in Mark 6, starting with verse 30. 
The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. I mean, they had just been all over the place, preaching the word, healing. I mean, just incredible, incredible stuff. And they're, they're sharing it with Jesus. Then, because so many people were coming and going and they did not even have a chance to eat. I mean, imagine their busy schedule. They didn't even have a chance to get a bite of food. Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I mean, wow, isn't this great? How God just sees our great need. We're exhausted. We're tired. The, the load has been so heavy. And he, he calls us to a place of rest. But, here's that interruption, verse 31. But, that, oh, when you have a but, that's an interruption. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that should ring a bell here, good shepherd, huh? They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow in a word of prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God. Amen. So the disciples, Jesus, they're interrupted, and you just add to that that they're very tired and they're weary. And I don't know about you, but if I'm interrupted after a big rest and I've had a happy day, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty cool with it. But, you know, I get me tired and somebody cuts me off in traffic. You know, that where it's a little harder to deal with that interruption. Well, that's where the disciples are, and their spa day is interrupted. I mean, Jesus is going to take them away. They're going to rest in solitude, and there's all these needs. There's all these things that interrupt. How easy it is to become impatient, to say, hey, I'll get back to you. Not a good time. And I want to just be clear that not every call, not every need ends up being something that we individually or corporately are to be about. But when God interrupts in this situation, he teaches them a lesson. Because Jesus does not show impatience or like, really, I'm not going to have my spa day. Rather, as he looks on the needs of the people, he has compassion. He has compassion. And compassion literally means to suffer with, to suffer with. I mean, sympathy says, you know, I really feel bad for you. <laughs> I really feel bad for you right now. Empathy is the ability to relate with the pain. Yeah, boy, I've been through that, and that is really, really tough. But you see, compassion acts. Compassion allows themselves to be interrupted. Frederick Buckner described what it means to have compassion in this way. Compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. You see, it wasn't a good time. They were tired. They, they had planned this time to go away for rest, and there is an interruption of need. If you had that in ministry, you've finished an elder meeting, a deacon meeting, you've taught Sunday school, you've been in a choir practice, and then 
and then there's somebody with a pressing need. And what is our response? These interruptions, these divine opportunities are God's way of breaking in that we would show the heart of Jesus to those who are in need. And certainly there can be a time to say no to this and discernment and all. But in this situation, we see that Jesus responds out of compassion. He doesn't just feel sorry for them. He doesn't just say, I I feel your pain. I've been there too. But he acts. He touches them. He blesses them. Before the pandemic, the church that I serve at, um, we had a ministry to the homeless, and we still do. It just has taken on a different form. But we would partner with uh, San Gabriel uh, Coalition for the Homeless, and we would house the homeless for two weeks uh, during the cold season, during the rainy season. And I know it never rains in Southern California, right, until it does. Uh, But one particular time we were uh, serving and it was pouring. It was just cold and it was, you know, torrential rains. And so it, it was packed. We were at capacity. We had at least 300 wet, cold, tired, hungry people there, some children, some dogs. And um, anyway, so somebody, uh, whoever was serving that night, whoever was uh, doing the cooking, had prepared just an incredible, everything was always homemade, hot pot roast, you know, somebody had peeled those potatoes, cut up those carrots, and it simmered all day. This is an incredible meal with biscuits and this yummy salad with this dressing. Oh, my goodness, it was so good. And we were serving, and we were hurrying because people were clamoring. They needed us to serve, and... We get to this one lady, and I, I was just kind of holding the train. Somebody's serving, and they give her the, 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 the hot pot rose. It's, mm, you can see the steam coming up. You can smell it. I hadn't eaten, obviously, and so I still have memories of that. And anyway, they put the salad down with the salad dressing, and she became irate. She said, I hate this kind of salad dressing. I told people I didn't like this kind of salad dressing. Don't you care? And how easy it would have been at that moment to say, Ah, uh, not a lot right now because I've got all these other people. I mean, truth, let's, you know, we can pretend. But let me tell you what a handful of people from that church did. Instead of telling that woman to wait, instead of telling her we have a lot of other people, you know what they did? They went back into the kitchen and I dare you to try this during services. Look in the refrigerator, and you know how there's like open mustard and mayonnaise and and salad dressings? They dug into the refrigerator, and they brought this woman a selection of salad dressings and a new salad. At the end of the night, after everybody had been served, I'll to this day remember this. This woman walked up to me, and with tears in her eyes, She said, thank you. Nobody has ever cared what I wanted before. You see, how we respond, even when we're pressed in and weary and overwhelmed, how we respond is a message of the gospel that there is a good shepherd who loves and cares and meets. So you will be interrupted with people's needs. Maybe you already have today. Ask the Lord, how, O Lord, 
Can I walk in your footsteps? How can I reflect your love for this person? What does it mean for me not to just feel sorry or to understand because I've been there too, but to actually suffer with them? The second interruption comes after the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, God does an incredible miracle. And then after that, it says immediately, Jesus left, got into the, uh, and tells his disciples to uh, get into the boat and uh, to get into the, the, the go on to a lake, you know, go across the lake. I'm sorry, I'm kind of reading this as I'm talking to you. I'm being interrupted by the word of God here. Uh, after leaving them, uh, Jesus went up to pray. And so what happens is that there's a, a storm, and I, that happens a lot. A, a storm comes up, and, you know, Jesus, when uh, he is, is, sees them, and they're just, ooh, you know, against the oars. The storm is difficult, and, and you know, they're, they're, they're working hard against it. Said when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So here's this interruption. They're just taking a nice little sail. You know, Jesus has said, Get in the boat, go to the other side. And all of a sudden, a storm arises, and they're straining, and, and the winds are against them. This huge interruption. About the fourth watch of the night, and that's, that's between three and six in the morning, so Jesus had actually seen him in the evening that this was happening, comes to them in uh, early morning. He went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. Ah! They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts had been hardened. So see, the interruption of that miracle hadn't softened their heart towards the miraculous, but had hardened their hearts. So here we see an interruption of a storm. And I, if I've spoken to you before, which I have, I've probably said this because I say it a lot, and it's, I don't know who originally said it, but it's so true. It says that Every single one of us at any point in our lives are always in one of three places. We are either in the midst of the storm, we are on our way out of the storm, or unbeknownst to us, we're on our way in. And so the disciples are interrupted. They're uh, getting, being obedient, you know, doing what Jesus said, and a storm arises. And, you know, sometimes the interruptions are just, you know, a spam phone call, which is annoying, and sometimes it is some really bad news. It's hard. It's a, it's a storm. I don't know if you heard about the doctor who said to the patients, oh, gosh, I have bad news and I have worse news. And, and the patient says, well, let's have it. And, and the doctor says, well, the bad news is you only have 24 hours to live. He goes, what's the worst news? I forgot to tell you yesterday. <laughs> you know? There's bad, I know. You guys have heard that. I've Bad news and worse news, the storms that, that come up and they're really hard. So how do we trust God in the storms instead of just straining against the oars, instead of just being, you know, not recognizing Jesus in the midst of the storm, but being filled with fear instead of faith? How, how do we do that? How, how do we live it out faithfully? First of all, we need to remember 
We remember the faithfulness of God. Tell me this. Why didn't one of those terror-filled disciples say to themselves, wow, this is a big storm, and wasn't it just yesterday that we had five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus miraculously had us serve a crowd of over 5,000, and we've been eating leftover since. Why didn't somebody say, don't we remember that that God, the same God that parted the Red Sea for our fathers? Look at, but they, they didn't remember that miracle, and it just happened. And we know that instead they had hardened their hearts. Their hearts had not been soft to what God had been teaching them. We are going to face storms, but when we do, we must remember the faithfulness of God. We remember the goodness of God. We ponder how God has met us over and over and over again. So this church was founded in 1961. And I did math. I did it, you know, subtraction on my bulletin. That makes you about 62 years old, right? And some of you may have been here all of that time. And right now, you are facing an interruption. It's kind of scary because you guys had plans. And now, those plans have been interrupted because you are going to go through a search and call somebody that at this point, only God knows who that person is. It's kind of scary. But let me ask you this, good shepherd. As you look back, over the history of God's work with you, can you remember one time that God was unfaithful? Can you look at one time that God was not faithful to his word? I'm not saying, you know, has everything been peachy keen, rosy, perfect, every budget, you know, came in the black, and every, you know, everything's always, you know, people have just always been coming in droves, always stayed, always gived, always served. Woo-hoo. No. <laughs> I'm not talking about that, but can you look back on the fact that never once has God left you nor forsaken you? You know, but God has been there, but God has worked. And see, when we remember, uh, you know, the, the, um, in Lamentations, when they're going through just an ugly, awful time because of their sin, the writer says, this I remember, this I call to mind because of the Lord's great love, his faithfulness, his compassion, we are not consumed. We ponder, we look back, we remember, we, we, we meditate on it, we marinate in it. Remember, we have just celebrated Christmas, and in the Christmas story, we are given this powerful truth. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's right. Not God has deserted us. Not God said, I don't want to be in the middle of this storm. With No. So as God walks across, they see him. They have forgotten the miracles. And they're filled with terror. And Jesus says, Mm-mm-mm, take courage. It is I. And he gets right in the boat. John Warburger said, you know, it's not about the storm stopping. It's not about never having a storm or a difficult circumstance, but 
It's that God is in the boat with us. Or might I say we're in the boat with him. Remember, ponder, memorize. And I always say to people, you know, the importance of memorizing God's word so you can call it to mind. Um, You know, if you go to the bank or you go on your phone and get into a bank app and you try and make a withdrawal, and it's like it comes up, never been a deposit before, you know. But if you memorize the word of God, if you feed your soul on the word of God, you know, Jesus' example is he went away in solitude and he prayed. He was with the Father. When we lean into the Lord, when we stand on the truth, the, the psalmist said, I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. So how do you deal with the terror that comes in the midst of the storms? You remember the faithfulness of God. You recount one by one the blessings of the Lord, and you remember So, I love, in fact, the little girl, Avery. At one point, she said, remember. She said, remember. I can't remember. It was something about remember the goodness of the Lord, but I I can't quote her exactly, but remember. So, 18 years ago, I had a huge interruption to my life, a storm. At a routine appointment, I was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. I had six, and I was preaching at three services with two younger children. Six months of chemotherapy, 36 radiation treatments, baldness, nausea, fear, and actually let me see say sometimes terror. I am a very good sleeper, but during that period of time, I would wake up, and actually for a number of the years afterwards, because it's I would wake up with a a sense of terror because of my children, fearful that I wouldn't be there to raise them. There was one time at one of my treatments, I was City of Hope, which is just such a blessing that I had that, I mean, it's just such great care, and my husband would always be there, but it was an all-day treatment because you go in for three or four hours of them just giving you stuff so that you you don't get deathly ill because they're going to be putting a poison. I mean, it's it's toxic. It's supposed to go in there and kill any cancer cells. But so the first few hours, they would be filling me up with, you know, different anti-nausea and anti-reaction kind of stuff, and I just, one time, it was the weirdest thing. It was the only time I remember out of all that time where my husband wasn't right there by my side, and there was an IV in my vein on my arm here. And I'm by myself, and um, you know, I'm, I'm watching it, and all of a sudden I notice that the IV needle slips out of the vein, and it begins to fill my arm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but I looked like Popeye. I mean, that's what was happening, and it was, felt like my arm was about to explode. And I could not reach the call button. And again, City of Hope is like first-class hotel. They, they're there, help, but for some, I'm totally alone. And I was, wow, this is scary. I'm watching my arm. And I had this one moment where I thought to myself, this really could be it. You know, I'm I'm alone, and this could be it. Somebody had given me a scripture at the very beginning of my diagnosis, Psalm 18. And as I laid there, not knowing what was going to happen, 
I call to mind that scripture. I love you, O Lord, my strength. You are my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. You are my rock in whom I take refuge. You are my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. See, there are interruptions all the time. Embed in your hearts and your minds the word of the living God. Memorize, feed upon it. Have it fill your whole soul. Moments of joy that you praise God. In in moments of uncertainty, you are reminded that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In moments when you feel like you are alone, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. In the moments you wonder what is going to happen to our church, we remember that God founded this church 62 years ago, and the very gates of hell shall not come against his church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to close with a prayer. It's um, just, I'm going to say it, but And I actually, when I was driving down here, I'm going to have this made up. A a friend of mine, Pastor Claire from um, Greenville in South Carolina, put this together. says, my dearest child, I just wanted to remind you of some of my promises. At the time it happens, I am there, Isaiah 48, 16. When you pass, when you pass through the waters, not if. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, Isaiah 43, 2. I will sustain you and I will rescue you, Isaiah 46, 4. Do not grieve, for my joy shall be your strength, Nehemiah 8, 10. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41, 10. I am with you and watch over you wherever you go, Genesis 28, 15. I have sent forth my word and healed you and rescued you from the grave, Psalm 107, 20. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91-1, who are you going to call? I am the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Those who hope in me will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. I am your hiding place. I will protect you from trouble and surround you with songs of deliverance. I am your loving, heavenly God. You know, whenever I drive... Um, here, and I just feel a a real blessing to be able to be with you all. I remember one of the first times I came, and I'd been to the church for Presbyterian different things, but as I drove, my GPS lost satellite connection. (laughs) I don't know where in the heck I was. I'm just telling you, I'm lost, okay? Talk about an interruption to, hey, I'm going to preach at this church today. And I called Pastor Bryant. Do you remember this? You're probably thinking, oh no, I gotta pull an old servant. Where is that lady? And he answered the phone, which is a shock for a pastor to answer the phone on a Sunday morning. But I, I thought about that when I was driving here. And I just, it was such a reminder. Every time I drive here, I remember that I was lost. My GPS wasn't working. And Pastor Brian answered the phone, and I got here in plenty of time. And you know, we remember that God doesn't leave us alone when we don't know where in the heck we are. You know, he doesn't. And we hold fast to every promise. 
of the living God, because every promise is yes in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to this congregation. God, as you fed the 5,000, Jehovah Jireh, you are the God who provides. Oh, God, help us to remember, help us to recall, help us to bring to mind all the ways you have proved yourself faithful to your scripture, all the times that we looked up in terror, wondering where you were or what's going on, and you got right in that situation with us, Emmanuel, God, with us. Help us to be faithful in the interruptions of the needs around this world, that the hungry, those without work, those who are feeling hopeless and alone, God, help us. Whatever interruption you bring, help us to be prayed up, read up, and willing to be fully faithful through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.